Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. How the heck is everyone? I miss you guys. I love you guys. I hope wherever you are, whenever you're listening to this, you're doing well. And I feel like, I don't know, it just feels like so long since I've gotten to talk to my circlers. We're going to have a solo episode soon just so I can just chat away. There's so much to talk about, but I am so excited about the episode that I have for you all today because I just... It was such an amazing interview. So I know you can kind of tell by the title, but I had Logan Yuri on and she is a behavioral scientist turned dating coach. And she wrote a book called How to Not Die Alone. And she currently works as Hinge's director of relationship science. So she like does a lot of research into modern dating. And I just feel like so many of you I'll see on the Geneva or you'll call in for story time. And there's so many like dating questions and there's just so much, there's just so many like opinions out there and there's so much going on online. So many people's opinions and so many people's anecdotes and all of that. And I thought it would be really cool to have someone come on and kind of just like that actually has studied dating and Like she's studied psychology at Harvard and she ran Google's behavioral science team and all of this stuff. And I just think that she like, you know, has really studied dating and, and I thought it would be cool to get like a professional's advice on dating. And so I was really excited for Logan to come on and talk to you all. And I tried to think of all of the questions, like all of the common questions I usually get. So we talk about long distance relationships and we talk about, you know, like how to get ready for a first date and how to judge how a first date is going and when to have a conversation about if you want to be boyfriend and girlfriend. And we kind of just like cover all of these topics that I've seen you guys chatting about, or I've heard you ask me on story time And I want my circlers to get like the best information and the most information. And so I thought it would be fun to have like an actual professional come on and talk to you all because, you know, I am not a professional expert on the matter. And so I wanted you to learn from a professional and I thought it would be fun to do this. And then it kind of, I know I've mentioned this before, but I just think it would be so much fun to start having people on like actual professionals on who can teach us about things that we don't learn in school that we absolutely should learn in school, whether it's finances or fertility and birth control and all of that or whatever it is. So like if there's anything that you guys find yourself thinking like, why don't we learn about this in school? Put it in the Geneva in like the recent episodes chat and I'll keep an eye on that and I'll try to look for like actual experts on all of those topics so we can like really we can learn something here in the circle I mean we learn so much every single episode but I want to make I want you know I want us to be well versed in everything that we want to know about 
And yeah, sorry, I'm freaking pregnant, you guys. And I get so out of breath, so out of breath every single time I talk. If you listen to my ads on this episode, like you will hear me just gasping for air. Well, it feels like my tank runs out after the end of every single sentence. But that is what this episode is about. This is all about dating. And it's super interesting. I feel like even I learn so much and I'm like a married 30-year-old old lady. So I really hope it's helpful for you guys. And I could always have Logan back on. She was amazing to talk to. And if there's any like follow-up questions that you have or you want to hear more about a certain thing, I would be happy to do a little segment with her again where we do some follow-up questions. So you let me know about that and let me know what you would want to learn about. Um, Because us circlers, not only are we hot and fun and funny and cool, but we're also really smart. And we know about every single topic that there is to know about. So that is, that is what this episode is about. Other than that, like I said, I will be doing another solo episode soon, giving you some actual updates on everything. But until then, this is my update. I'm doing well. I am still pregnant. I'm out of breath all the freaking time. Um, and I am almost 27 weeks pregnant because I think the last update I gave, I was like 21. But now I am nearly 27, which is crazy but everything's good and there's so much more I want to talk to you about but we'll save it for the solo episode and if there's anything that you want to hear me talk about in a solo episode also put that in the recent episodes little section of Geneva and I'll talk about it but until then I hope that you guys learned something from this episode or just like find it interesting I really did so I hope you all enjoy it too and that's that Um, I love you all so much, my sweet circlers, and I will talk to you soon. Now enjoy today's episode. Hello. Hi, great to meet you. So nice to meet you. I have explained already to the circlers exactly who you are and what you do, but if you want to also kind of, for yourself, tell them a little bit about yourself and then we can kind of get into it because... I have questions. Sure. Yeah. So very excited to be here. I'm Logan Yuri. I work as the director of relationship science at Hinge, which means that I help conduct research into dating and figuring out what sets successful daters apart and how can we help more people do that. I also wrote a book called How to Not Die Alone, The Surprising Science That Will Help You Find Love. And I work one-on-one as a dating coach and I teach classes on dating. That is, I mean, it's just such an interesting career. First off, before we get into the, you know, the science of dating and all of that, how did you get into this job? Like what inspired you to become a dating coach and whatnot? Yeah, I think I've always been really interested in psychology and how people think. And so that's what I studied at Harvard. And then I graduated and I went to Google and I had this very quirky job. I ran the porn pod there. Oh, So I was like 22 years old, this new Harvard grad. My parents had just paid all this money for me to go to college. And I'm like, it was really interesting. So I did, you know, some different jobs at Google, but eventually I moved into this really cool role running the behavioral science team there. It was called the Irrational Lab. And it's basically saying like, how do we use psychology and decision-making and how people think to apply that to Google marketing and Google products. So I was really leaning into the psychology piece, but at the same time, Tinder had just come out and I was like, wow, like this is something new. Like dating is really changing. I was using dating apps. I was on Hinge and I was just like, there's something else going on here. So I started this series where I brought in experts to talk about dating And basically ever since then, I've been applying psychology and how we make decisions to dating. And that's taken different forms like coaching and my book and working at Hinge. But it all kind of comes down to this feeling of like, it's so interesting that we make this decision like for many years of our lives about who we're going to be with. And there's all these things holding us back from making good decisions. How can we understand that better? And how can we help people? It's just so interesting. And so have you, when it comes to, because I've never... I've never been on a dating app. Like I've never used one myself, but I know so many people that have. And so I kind of, and I know that a lot of people who listen are using them and also are just like out in the real 
world trying to date. And so what parts of the dating app and like, especially Hinge, like how do you, how can, I guess I, first we can talk about like how you can make your dating app profile Mm -hmm. as appealing as possible. But then also just, I kind of want to get into like just real world dating and general dating stuff. So what would you say is how can you make your profile if you're using a dating app as what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, I can talk to that, like how to be as successful as possible using Hinge. Yeah. So this is really fun because I feel like at Hinge, we've done a deep dive into this where we're like, what are the profiles that are actually leading to matches and messages and dates? And so I can tell you about that. So your profile is really a chance to tell your story. It's almost like if you were going to have a billboard that explains who you are, like what is the, what's the must know information. And so part of telling a story is having variety. So, you know, if I look at somebody's profile and it's six pictures from Burning Man, I'm like, that is a very specific image. <laughs> and I actually know you. And like, it's just that you happen to have a lot of pictures from Burning Man, but you're not even that into it. Like this isn't really telling your story. So right. having a variety of pictures strategically, like starting with a headshot. So something that shows your face and you're not wearing sunglasses, you don't have filters, you know, I can really see what you look like. And then you should have pictures that show like your full body, you doing an activity that you love, you with friends and family to show us that you have a social life, really just the different parts of your life. And then my favorite thing about Hinge is the prompts. So there's these really fun prompts that people can fill out and they've gotten even more creative over the years. So there was a whole kind of pack called self-care prompts that came out a few years ago where it's things like my therapist would tell you or one green flag I look for. And so that's a chance to show your sense of humor, but I encourage people to have a mixture of humor and vulnerability. You can't be like all dad jokes because then I feel like, well, maybe you don't want a relationship, but not all too serious. Cause then I'm like, do you have a sense of humor? So it really is like a writing exercise where you're like, what are the things I want you to know about me? And how can I express them to you either through these pictures or through these prompts? Yeah, I mean, I do. I think the prompts are great. I've helped many of my friends make like write answers and stuff. And I just feel like it's so helpful to get the grasp of somebody's personality and what they're into and whatnot. So say you are on Hinge, you match with someone, you guys are talking. How do you, instead of getting in like a complete texting rut for multiple weeks how would you go from like you make this successful profile you match with someone you guys have a good couple conversations how do you get out of that like talking phase and into like an actual date totally yeah we call that falling into the phone zone you definitely don't want to do it or it's like becoming pen pals and (laughs) I can explain a couple reasons why you don't want to do it So one is that people are like, no, like I keep getting more information about them. So I want to keep chatting. Like, I don't want to meet up in person until I have all this information. But what I've found is that actually the longer that you go texting without meeting up, the more you create a fantasy of them in your head. And then when you meet up with them in person, even if they are genuinely great, because they don't exactly meet this fantasy that you had created of them, you're disappointed. So the longer you go with talking, but not meeting up, the more you're setting yourself up for disappointment. So at Hinge, we found that the sweet spot of getting out of the phone zone is after around three days of chatting, trying to get off the app. So that might be, hey, let's make a plan. Hey, let's talk on the phone. Something that kind of like transitions it off. So it's still early enough that there's momentum, but it's not so early that it feels rushed. And I like to say, I like to have my clients say something like, hey, let's see if we get along as well in person as we do over text. What are you doing Thursday at seven? Kind of like a little flat, a little flirty and complimentary, but also kind of just like throwing out a date and time so that you can respond to it. So even if you're not free Thursday at seven, you can respond to it and say something along the lines of like, well, I can't do Friday, but I can do Saturday. I can't do Thursday, but I can do Friday, something like that. So it's basically just like making it clear to the other person that you're not there for a pen pal. And if the person keeps deferring and doesn't really seem to want to meet up, that's also data that's good for you to have. Because if you're looking for an actual relationship, don't waste your time with someone who just wants affirmation over text. Right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So... As you guys remember, honestly, it feels like forever ago. So if you don't remember, let me refresh your memory. I got married. It's true. I'm a married woman. I got married this past February and I learned so much during that time about random things like flowers and napkins and 
dresses and shoes and all of those things. But something I actually loved learning about was diamonds because diamonds are a girl's best friend. Okay. I'm not going to lie. And some of the things I learned are absolutely crazy. Like, did you know that you can actually tell the difference between a laboratory grown diamond and a natural diamond? Did you know that? Laboratory grown diamonds are mass produced in factories in just a few weeks and are easily detectable due to their distinct patterns. Natural diamonds are over a billion years old. It's actually so cool and special to look at your jewelry and know you are wearing something that's over a billion years old. I mean, is it not? It's awesome. My favorite thing I learned about buying natural diamonds is that you are supporting the livelihoods of over 10 million people worldwide and around 80% of the value of every rough diamond remains in local communities and supports infrastructure, healthcare, education, and environmental protection. So you're really just, you're doing a lot with those natural diamonds. So my sweet circlers, next time you are celebrating a special moment in your life and you're interested in some diamonds, remember to choose a natural diamond because the good they put back into the communities is worth it. And they're beautiful. And the diamond industry has undergone significant positive transformation over the past 20 plus years. These diamonds are naturally and ethically sourced. So for more information, go to naturaldiamonds.com. So over time, as I've, you know, started my 30s, I've had a lot of time to subscribe to things online and then forget that I'm paying for all of these things. And I feel like I've signed up for a lot of free trials in my day and I have forgotten to cancel uh, these subscriptions that I just simply don't use at all. And it always like kind of stressed me out in the back of my mind, made me a little anxious knowing I was paying for things monthly that I don't use, obviously, because it's just a waste of money. But I didn't even know how to go about finding all of these things that I have signed up for. And then I got introduced to Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. It made it so easy to see everything I was paying for. It's all in one place. It's all right there. And then I could easily cancel any of the subscriptions that I don't use. So I'm not going through all these like annoying emails. I'm not talking to customer service. They canceled any subscription I didn't want with one click of the button. It was really comforting and gave me peace of mind seeing all of my expenses right there organized. And I could just, you know, it's all lined up for me. It makes it so much easier. I was shocked to learn the average person believes they are spending around $80 a month on their subscriptions, but the number is actually more like $200 a month. And I definitely am one of those people. It's just crazy. I feel like we could save so much money, people. Rocket Money can also negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money handles the rest. They're just there for you. And they can also help you budget. They can monitor your expenses and recommend a custom budget for you based on your past spending and we'll send you notifications when you've reached your spending limits. With How Crazy Life Is, having an app do all of this for me is just the absolute best. All of it in one place, such a game changer. You have to try Rocket Money. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash circle time. That's rocketmoney.com slash circle time. Rocketmoney.com slash circle time. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So would you recommend, I want to get into that, like then going on that first date, but before yeah. that, would you recommend like matching and talking to as many people as possible? Or do you... Are you more, do you think that you find one or two people that you really connect with and focus on those? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's very apropos because right now at Hinge, we just released this thing called a distraction-free dating guide, 
which was basically this idea that's like people really want to meet and they want to chat. But a lot of them, especially Gen Z, are telling us like my phone's getting in the way. I'm going on all these dates where I'm looking at my phone or somebody else's. And so we've really been trying to help people figure out like, hey, if you want to meet someone, like put your phone away on a date. Don't take it out to show each other memes, like stuff that feels obvious, but is happening. And sort of part of the research that we did around this was on the idea of how many people you should talk to at the same time. And my philosophy is to cut the roster. I think when you have so many people at the same time, you take some of them for granted. You go on a bunch of dates. And like this happened to me when I was online dating is that I would be like, wait, did I tell you this story or did I tell this to the yes. guy that I went out on a date with yesterday? Totally. And I like started getting confused between who I had said stuff to. I was pretty burned out, so I couldn't make good decisions about people. I felt like I was almost just like dating to date and not really taking all the people in. Yeah. And so instead, my recommendation is match with a few people at the same time, chat with them, see where it goes, try to get to either a relationship or realizing that you're not a fit and then do that again. And that way that you're giving each one a chance to either become something or not. I think people have this misconception that's like, well, if I'm talking to 20 people and I meet the right one, I'll know it. It's like, no, you're only going to know it if you're in a mindset to connect and you're only in a mindset to connect when you're not talking to so many people at the same time. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. Okay, so you connect with a couple people and you're gonna go on your first date. I know that you have questions to ask yourself after the first date. Is there anything you recommend to prepare for a first date with someone? Yeah, so this was really something that I started thinking about a lot during the pandemic because people were going from like a Zoom meeting that ended at five o'clock to a Zoom date that started at 5.01. And they were not transitioning out of work mode into date mode. And so a big thing is just understanding that so much of dating is your mindset. Like if you go in thinking this isn't going to work, my last 50 dates haven't worked, you're kind of creating that, that, that that's what's like going to manifest, right? It's like this idea of whether you think it go what will go well or you think it will go poorly, you're right. And so how do you get into the right mindset for dating? And some of this stuff might seem cheesy, but I really think it matters. It's like, can you listen to a pump-up playlist? Can you do 10 jumping jacks? Can you call your best friend who really wants you to find love? Just getting yourself into this mood of like, I'm going to show up and be present and connect and be flirty. And I think that people underestimate how much their mindset impacts how much fun they have and how open they are, because it's not just like, I'll know it when I see it, if it's the right person. It's like the context that you meet in matters a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That completely, completely makes sense. And I I mean, you can apply that to any kind of situation in life, I feel. But that's, yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. So you go on a first date with someone. What are the eight questions to ask yourself after your first date with someone? Yeah. So what I was finding is that I was coaching all these people and I had this one male client in particular, his name was Jonathan. And he would say to me, oh yeah, I met this guy. He was great, but I just didn't feel the spark. And he kept talking about the spark. And it kind of became this nemesis to me where I was like, what do you even mean by that? You just mean instant chemistry. You just mean like in the moment that I met him, did I feel super attracted to him? And I was like, that's not really what long-term relationships are about. And so I tried to train him and other people to look instead of for the spark, for the slow burn, for that person. I'm sure you know the kind of people I'm talking about where it's like, Maybe when you first meet them, they're a little bit more awkward or you don't initially feel like you want to like jump and take their clothes off. But then you're like, wait, I feel more and more attracted to you. I actually really like you. You really lit up when you talked about your passion for comedy or whatever it was. And so going after that person that gets better over time versus that sparky person that starts really high, but then probably disappoints you. And so when Jonathan was going on these dates, I felt like he was looking for the wrong stuff. And so I designed these questions for him and other people. You ask yourself these questions after the date, but the point is that during the date, they're training you what to look for. And so the questions, it's called the post-date eight. And the questions are things like, what side of me did they bring out? Did I feel more energized or de-energized than I did before the date? Did they make me laugh? Did I feel attractive around them? How did my body feel? Did I feel heard? And by tuning into those questions versus things like, did I feel the spark or is he good enough for me? You're actually looking for the things that matter. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Would you recommend that if you're asking yourself all these questions and they answer, you answer some of them yes and some of them no, is there like 
certain ones that are more important or is there a certain number that you should hit or is it kind of just like a feeling? Yeah, it's a good question. So there's no rubric that says like, this is what to look for, but the way that it's been more help- most helpful to people is when they're kind of on the fence. So for example, let's say I'm coaching a woman who's like, this guy was so great on paper. He would fit in so well with my family. My parents would love him. Like stuff that's a little bit more external and superficial, like what other people think of him. But then when she did the posted date, she's like, I didn't laugh. He brought out an anxious side of me and I felt stiff in my body. That's a clue that this isn't a good match. Or somebody will be like, oh, you know, I wasn't sure about the person, but then each time they fill it out each time after a date and they're like, I'm liking that person more and more. And so it's kind of a clue to what's going on with you. I think a lot of people have trouble tuning into how they feel, tuning into their body. And so this is kind of like a shortcut to get that information from yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That I think it's helpful to have kind of like a guideline like that because your thoughts can just get so jumbled after you meet someone and you don't know what to look for. I also feel like there's a lot of stuff online. Like if you go on TikTok and Mm -hmm. there's so many people who are not actual experts like yourself who have just, you know, been on a lot of dates or are in their thirties or whatever it is. They're just, they're just kind of talking about their experience, but they have kind of like rules, things that Mm -hmm. you shouldn't if he doesn't text you a plan right away, then he's not worth it. And all of these things, do you think that that kind of stuff is helpful? Or do you think that now there's just like almost too much information and it kind of can cloud someone's judgment of finding a good person and maybe the guy just didn't text you the quote unquote right way? I I don't know. I just feel like there's so many opinions out there now and it could maybe hinder people from finding someone great just because someone online says that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's pros and cons to all of the dating content out there. So I would say one of the pros is I feel like people have learned a lot about attachment theory. That's one of those things that like when I learned about it, let's say 10 years ago in a psychology context, I was like, wait, this is really helping me. This is helping things click. Now I understand a lot more about what's going on. Like, I really think that it's a great framework and it is based in science. There's like a huge research background to it. And so the fact that people know about attachment theory because TikTok has popularized it, I'm on board with that. Yeah, for sure. What makes me worried is datertainment or people who I almost feel like they're going on dates looking to have a bad story that they can then talk about. Mm-hmm. I I feel like it's rewarding the wrong behavior. It's almost like, yeah, yeah, like dating as entertainment. It's like, I don't really, yeah, sure, go have fun with dating. But I also feel like if you're serious about finding someone like, I don't want you just looking out for like, how can I tell this funny story on TikTok later? It's more about things like, who are you? How are you growing? What are your patterns? What are the things you want to change? And so I feel like I've heard stories about people that have TikToks have been made about and it's really invasive. And so I just worry about the incentive there for that. And then also in terms of how much content is out there from doing a lot of research into Gen Z dating, it's definitely influencing how people feel. And so I think there's a lot of advice out there, some good, some bad, and it's it's hard to tell if the person is legit or not. So I think it's probably just very confusing for people. Is there anything that you've seen that's like been very popular that you've kind of seen and been like, that's not great, actual great advice? I think what you referenced around all those rules, I can't think of a particular TikTok that I've seen. It's funny. I almost feel like because dating is my life, it's not my favorite thing to like absorb dating content. So it's like my TikTok algorithm is more like air fryer recipes (laughs) and like Comedy Central roast. Right. I think generally I don't feel like rules are helpful because they make it seem like we're all the same. And they also feel very dated and very gendered to me. So things like he should pay for the first date. And if he doesn't, he's not interested. He texts you first. I'm like, who is that serving? Like, yeah. he's actually a feminist who grew up with like an awesome mom who taught him that men and women are equal. And therefore he's kind of like, yeah, maybe we'll split the date. I feel like those rules hold you back from meeting great people because you're applying like one rule to everyone when a lot of us are different. And so I would say be skeptical of rules. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I feel like a lot of stuff that I see, my brother is single and so he is dating and whatnot. And so he'll kind of, he'll talk to me about how he's, you know, talking to someone or whatnot. And I 
all of a sudden I'm thinking of like these random dating TikToks I've seen. And I'm like, well, maybe you should do this and you should do that. And I'm like, but he's a great guy. And he doesn't like if you're playing up into all of these sort of games and rules, then you're not being authentically who you are. And you're eventually that is going to come out one way or another. And like if you're a great guy and you find someone who you who it works with, then that's more what you should be looking for and not so much like a checklist of things that you think that the person should be doing before you even meet them. I totally agree. And I, it reminds me, I had a coaching call with this girl yesterday. She's 26. It's her first time like kind of getting past early dates with people and everything that's happening in reality is really great. Like when she hangs out with him, he's really nice to her. They're in good communication. Everything is going well, but because she has like a checklist in her head of the milestones, she's worried that something's going wrong. So she's like, well, I haven't met his friends yet. So what does that mean? He's been traveling a lot. So we haven't hung out this week. What does that mean? And I'm like, you're creating a problem where there isn't one. And her friends are kind of encouraging her like, oh, you know, if he hasn't done this, it means this. I was like, there's really two people in this relationship, you and the other person go talk to them about how you're feeling. Talking to everyone else except them isn't helpful. And so where we wound up on the call is the fact that she'd probably benefit from defining the relationship with him. And she's ready to do that. And she's ready to even like broach the conversation. But I think the big unlock was helping her understand like there's no milestone checklist that you're behind on that doesn't exist. It's more like, how are you feeling? And are you on the same page as this person? Yeah. So obviously since becoming pregnant, there are a lot of things going on that are extremely new to me. And one of those things is maternity clothes shopping because I was kind of dreading, first of all, going out and buying a whole new wardrobe and also like trying to find maternity clothes that I actually like. Um, because I don't love a lot of the maternity clothes on the market, but I still want to feel like myself, like dressing fun and expressing myself with clothes is a part of who I am. And I didn't want to lose that when I became pregnant. And that is why I'm so thankful for Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix took the worry off my plate, made it so effortless and fun. And all the clothes they picked out for me did not at all compromise my style. And they just felt like me, which is so amazing. With Stitch Fix, I got my own personal stylist to handle all of my maternity clothes needs, and I have loved every piece that they've hand-selected for me so far. Any of the pieces I chose not to keep, I just mailed back for free. Super easy. And I am lazy, so I promise it's very easy. If you are looking to get some new clothes for fall or you want to try a new hobby like pickleball, for example, and you need some pickleball clothes or you just want to spice up your wardrobe, Stitch Fix has got you covered. The personal stylists at Stitch Fix get to know your style and your budget and then send pictures of the pieces directly to you to make shopping easier and painless. Stitch Fix also is on top of all of the new styles and brands and will get you ahead of the curve. They have over a thousand brands and styles and work with sizes extra small to 3XL. So no matter who you are, Stitch Fix is the perfect fit. No more trips to the mall where you're there for hours and hours and you're searching through all the racks and you only find one piece that kind of feels like you. With over a thousand brands and styles, you try everything on at home, keep what you like and send back the rest. Shipping and returns, by the way, are always free. Thanks, Stitch Fix. They just get me and I love them and I know they'll get you too. So try today at stitchfix.com slash circle time and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash circle time. Stitchfix.com slash circle time. Okay, my sweet, sweet circlers. I need you to know that you are not alone in this, but if you have ever had unprotected sex or forgotten your birth control or you've had a condom broke or you're not sure if the condom broke, whatever it is, first of all, this happens to literally everyone. And I am excited to talk about a new company that is giving emergency contraception a much needed rebrand. Because I feel like everyone pretty much has their own story or they know someone who has the story about how they had to take the morning after pill. And for some reason, with that always comes some sort of shame or embarrassment when it just absolutely should not. It's okay. Well, Julie is aiming to be the emergency contraception company for the next generation, one of learning and acceptance, not stigma and shame. When it comes to complex and stressful choices around your health, Julie believes women deserve products that are easy in every way. So that's easy to find, easy to take, easy to relate to, and easy to understand. 
Basically, how it works is Julie stops your body from releasing an egg using the same active ingredient as Plan B or other morning after pills. Essentially, Julie works by preventing or delaying your ovulation. With no egg, there's no fertilization and therefore no pregnancy. And it is no risk at all to future fertility. Julie just launched at CVS, but you can also find Julie at Target and Walmart stores across the U.S. You can also order online so you can have it for the future just in case you need it. It's legal in all 50 states and you do not need an ID, prescription, or credit card to get it. And Julie is not just a morning after pill. It's a morning after pill brand that's working to increase access to emergency contraception for women across the country. Julie has a one-for-one donation program, and every time you purchase Julie at a store or online, the company donates one pill to someone who needs it. Julie partners with over 25 organizations across the country to provide donations to those disproportionately impacted by health inequities, which is amazing. Right now, Julie is offering our listeners, my sweet circlers, $10 off your online purchase. Go to juliecare.co slash circle time to get $10 off your online purchase for a limited time. That's juliecare.co slash circle time. Or if you need it right away, you can find Julie at your nearest CVS, Target, or Walmart today. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So, like, we talked about the first date and just hearing about that, like, do you think that Like when, after you've been on a few dates with someone and you're getting to know them more, is there like, what should you be looking out for? Where should it be going? Is it like what, I guess it's kind of situational for each person, right? But is there like, how do you, how do you breach that next step and that next conversation? Yeah. So a couple things to look out for. So I like when people answer the post-date eight after their first few dates, because it helps them track, like, do I like this person more over time? And that's especially true with people who aren't as sparky, who are more the slow burn. And there's no exact time to get to the next level. One of the things we've been doing in our research at Hinge is really looking at, does Gen Z care as much about labels as maybe millennials? And so it might just be like, well, actually, I just want to know that we're exclusive, but I don't care about the labels, or maybe I do care about the labels, or maybe I don't believe in exclusivity at all. I just want to know like what we are. And so I think the fact is that actually that conversation has changed because there's so many more ways to be in a relationship right now, which is like something that I'm very happy to see. I love people being creative about relationship design. In terms of bringing it up, I like when people can have a little opening line that they practice just because it can be scary to say something. So it might be like, I'm really enjoying hanging out and I love getting to know you. I wanted to see how you're feeling or, you know, something cheesy, like we're about to meet my coworkers. What should I call you? Yeah. And I, it's, I just feel like these conversations are hard and having that go-to first line is good. And then I also recommend that people know what their goals are for the conversation. So is your goal just to check it, check if you're on the same page Is your goal exclusivity? Is it labels? Is it something else? And then also what are acceptable answers for you and what are unacceptable answers? So maybe an acceptable answer is, I don't know, I want to keep seeing you and seeing where things go. Or maybe you feel like, no, that's not what you want right now. And so just there's so much fear of rejection, especially with younger people that I feel like they're not always having these conversations. And I feel like when you don't have the conversation, you're really doing yourself a disservice because six months from now, you might find out that it wasn't what you thought it was. And so just be bold and have the conversation. Is there a certain like, do you think there is some like a time that's too early to have the conversation? Like, is there is there a sweet spot for that or is it kind of just depends on how things have been going? Mostly, I think it's open to individual experiences, but, you know, going back to attachment theory a little bit, people who are anxiously attached, they often have this feeling of like, I just don't want to be single anymore. I want to know that you're my boyfriend. I want to get into this relationship. And so that, that anxiety might actually compel them to have the conversation a little bit too soon. And so I would say, gut check with your friends, like, Hey, this is how much we've been hanging out. Does this feel like a good time to bring it up? And I, that is a moment where I would bring in the squad. And then I think too late 
is when you're making assumptions like, well, I've met his friends and we've done X, Y, Z together. So we must be exclusive. And, but you haven't asked. And so I would say like, maybe like one to three months in, but that's pretty loose. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I think that makes sense. You don't want to get too, too deep into something and think it's going one place and it's going, you know, somewhere completely different. Do you have any advice on, well, there's a couple things. Maybe I should mm-hmm. save that one because you have mentioned attachment theory a bit. And just for the circlers listening who might not know exactly what you're talking about, do you would you mind explaining that just a little bit? I feel like it'd be really helpful to come from someone like you. No, very happy to talk about it. And also, as I mentioned earlier, it's like, this really is based on great research. This is based on research from the 60s where they were studying children and their attachment to their mothers. And then they realized that, this type of attachment actually applies to adult relationships. And so basically there's people who are anxiously attached and they want to constantly be in contact. They worry that somebody is going to abandon them. And so they can come across as more needy. And there's a lot of a feeling of like, I want to lock this down. Mm -hmm. And then there's people who are avoidant attached and they often feel like when somebody gets too close to me, they're going to smother me. I need to protect my space. When you come close, I'm going to push you away. So this might be the kind of person who, you know, you have a sleepover on a Saturday night and then Sunday morning, they kind of just like totally change personalities and are like, hey, when are you planning on leaving? Like, wait, what was going on? It's like they're protecting their space. People who are securely attached and they're comfortable with intimacy, but also comfortable with independence. And they're sort of able to manage both. And so unsurprisingly, secure partners are really great because they tell you how they feel, but they're not invading your space. They they want to get close to you, but they also can spend time alone. And 50% of daters are securely attached, which is great. But what ends up happening is they kind of get snatched up into relationships. And then who you have in the single dating pool are anxious and avoidant people. And they date each other and they reinforce each other's worst habits. So I'm anxiously attached. And I think love is the chase. Love is convincing this guy who doesn't like me to like me. I'm going to go after him. I'm going to get on his calendar. The avoidant attached guy is like, Love is somebody smothering me. Love is me having to pull back and defend my space. And when these people date each other in this anxious avoidant loop, it's really hurtful. It's really harmful. They're they're not enjoying it. And it's only when one of them either becomes more secure or finds a securely attached person that yeah. they break out of it and mm-hmm. are like, oh, holy cow, like dating can actually be way more enjoyable than right. I thought. Right. I had just I had thought that this was it. It's like you were in a toxic pattern that you didn't know wasn't what everyone was going through. And when you break out of it, that's when people make the change and find a great relationship. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I've been there personally. Like, I feel like everybody kind of has seen something like that. Do you think Do you think it's like when an anxious person and an avoidant person come, is it just that combination? Or is it like when two anxious people come together, it can kind of combust? And also like, can your attachment style change if you're with the right person. Avoidant, avoidant doesn't happen that often because neither person puts in the effort. Okay. And anxious, anxious can happen, but they're not really attracted to each other because they're both so available. So it's like, if my definition of what's sexy and what I want is somebody that pulls away, when somebody's available, I'm kind of turned off. Like I definitely remember in my early twenties when I was dating, there was this feeling of like, well, if he rejects me, he must be better than me. So I should convince him to be with me, which is such a different attitude from what I would suggest to people, which is find someone who's excited about you. And there's really not like a supposed to be a power imbalance. It's like, I choose you and you choose me. So that's why anxious avoidant happens the most. Okay. There's two ways that this can change. So one is people can become more secure. And so they can work on things like when... I don't hear from her and I feel really anxious instead of sending her 12 messages and then turning off my phone, which is known as protest behavior, I can actually self-soothe. I can go for a walk. I can go to the movies where I can't be on my phone. I can meet up with friends. I can remind myself that they're at a concert and they don't have service. I can do things to kind of soothe myself. Mm -hmm. Similarly, avoided people can work on feeling more close, feeling more comfortable with intimacy. So some of it is you can change yourself. And Mm -hmm. then another thing is finding a secure partner. And I feel like that's what really made the difference for me. I was anxiously attached, always dating these avoidant guys and being like, how can I convince them to fall in love with me? And then when I started dating my now husband, 
I have this memory. It's so clear of like, I was walking down the street in San Francisco. He did something to bother me. I sent like 15 crazy texts. Like I was typing away (laughs) on my screen, like anger, like shooting out of my ears. Mm -hmm. And instead of responding and like kind of feeding into it, he was like, oh, sounds like you're upset. We should talk about this in person. And it was like, boom, like he just like blew up this pattern. And like, he was consistently doing that where I thought things would go a certain way. That's like how my neural pathways had grooved because I was used to anxious avoidant. And suddenly I was like, oh, there's a different way. And so being with somebody securely attached was what I needed to get out of it. And now we've been together for eight and a half years. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm so glad that I figured it out when I did. Yeah, I I mean, I very similarly... I think the same thing kind of happened when I met Cody. I was very anxious, anxiously attached person and he's very secure and it's definitely a game changer. That's for sure. How did you guys meet? We just met through a friend. My friend who I was living with at the time was kind of dating one of his friends from college. And so we met through, through them. But I just, I remember like feeling like, oh, like the kind of the craziness and like the BS that I pull, like he's like, it's not, he doesn't like feed into it in the way that like is definitely not healthy as pretty much everyone else I had dated did. That's exactly right. And it's this really interesting moment where you're like, oh, love doesn't have to be this way. Right. And I think that's what's so hard about the anxious avoidant loop is that it keeps reinforcing my definition of love. My definition of love is I chase you and you pull away. Your definition of love is somebody smothers you and you have to pull back. And that just keeps happening. And it's not until you see that there's another way of doing it that you realize that it doesn't have to be that way. It would almost be like, if you took cold showers your whole life and then you took a warm shower, yeah. you'd be like, wait, this was available the whole time. Right. Like totally. You, you have to experience something to know that it exists. And do you think that there's like, cause I, ever since I started dating Cody and when I remember when we first started dating, I felt comfortable enough to kind of explain to him like what was going on in my head and like why I was sending these crazy texts or like what exactly was happening that was making me get to this point that's like making me explode that like I don't really get to anymore, luckily. But do you think that it's more of a self-soothing thing or do you think it's good to explain those things to the person that you're dating and like see like they to not so much like wait for them to do something about it, but just like so that they know what's going on so that they don't just think that do you just think it's something that you should be vocal about? Yeah, I think that there's a right and wrong way to do it. So I think the right way to do it is when you're sharing like, hey, here's what was going on for me yesterday. So it's almost like when you're in a cool state, you're not in a hot state, you can be like yesterday when I asked you what time we should meet up and then I didn't hear from you for three hours these are all the things that went through my head. Like he's not interested in me anymore. He met somebody else. He doesn't respect me. He doesn't even care enough to respond. And like all of those things went through my head. And then it started making me feel like more nervous. And, but maybe this is a little too much to share, but you know, something along the lines of like, when I didn't hear from you, it made me feel unsure about how you felt about me. And so I really appreciate when you text me back right away, especially when we're making plans. So it's kind of like, if you've heard of nonviolent communication, just sort of saying like, when you did this thing, this is how it made me feel. Here's my request. And I think that if you do it from a cool state where you're letting somebody in, you're basically saying like, this is how I'm wired. Here's how you can help me. I think when people get it wrong is when you blame someone, like you shouldn't have communicated that way. It's like, no, I don't really think there's a should and a shouldn't. That was what they said and it didn't land with you. I also feel like emotional vulnerability is such a great part of letting somebody in. We've done a lot of research on this at Hinge that 93% of people would rather date someone who's emotionally available and vulnerable. That's very attractive on first dates but only 32% of people are doing this. And that's because it's like, we're afraid to let someone in because we think that they'll see our imperfections, but it's actually our imperfections that make people feel connected to us. And so you really want to be able to lower your walls and let them in, but you also don't want to be TMI and like sharing like every trauma that's ever happened to you. And so I do think that it's a learned skill, which is, Hey, like, here's my experience. Here's what's going on for me yesterday when this happened, like it didn't feel great. But it's also not being 
it's not sharing too much too soon because I also think that that can read as kind of emo- like inappropriate to people. Yeah, yeah, I get that. When you have been with someone for a long time, because I feel like we get a lot of questions about this. And also I've had like friends talk to me about certain situations in their lives where it's like something has bothered them in their relationship multiple times. Something has happened and they've it's been this conversation. And a lot of people think like, I don't want to keep bringing this up because I don't want my partner to get annoyed that I'm still talking about this thing, but it's still bothering me. And I'm always under the impression that like, if something is still bothering you, you have every right to bring it up until like, you're not, until you are not bothered. I don't know. But like, how do you handle those kind of situations where your partner's acting a certain way that you don't like and you don't, but you don't want them to think them, you don't want to bother, quote unquote, bother them. Cause they think, there's only one way out of a certain situation like that. And it's like through communication. But what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of how you ask the question, like, I totally agree. I think if something's consistently bothering you, if you just pretend it's not happening, that's not going to work because resentment will just build up over time. Right. And that's one of the big things that the research on this shows. So really some of the people that have done the best research in this are John and Julie Gottman of the Gottman Institute. And they've done research on what makes couples who are successful and in happy relationships versus what's going on with couples who get divorced or un, are unhappily married. And a big part of it is how much are you connecting? So when I say to you, hey, I just read an interesting article. I listened to an interesting podcast. That's a bid. That's a bid for us to connect. And you can either turn towards my bid and say, hey, what was the podcast about? Or you can turn away from the bid and be and just ignore me. Yes, I just heard about about this recently. Yeah. Yeah, it's really great research. And so in each of these situations, it's like daily moments of are we turning towards each other or away from each other, build great relationships or build relationships with resentment. And so when your friends are feeling not heard or there's an issue going on, that is a moment where they're not turning towards each other. And so I would say to them, certainly choose your moment. Like not before they're in a big meeting or not when you're out to dinner with your friends, but, you know, go for a walk, go for a drive and say like, Hey, this has been on my mind and it only felt share. It only felt fair to share it with you. When this happens, this is how I feel. And hopefully their partner will be into it and try to solve it. But also if they keep ignoring them or saying that's not a big deal or gaslighting them, Unfortunately, that's information that that person needs to know because maybe this isn't a great long-term partner if they can't really address conflict and conflict is a very natural part of any relationship. Yeah, yeah, I think that's important for people to remember because I also think that a lot of times people, there will be conflict and it's, I know people who like will think, oh, well, that just means that something's wrong. Like it, it shouldn't have conflict. We shouldn't have conflict. We should just be getting along. But I don't think that that's sustained. I mean, that's never going to be possible. Like you're never going to have a relationship where there's not conflict. Yeah, it's not about finding a relationship where you don't fight. It's about finding a relationship where you fight well. Right, I totally agree. That was my one like in a relationship question, but something else that I get asked a lot about is long distance relationships. I have a lot, there's a lot of people who listen who they're both going to like different colleges, Mm -hmm. but they're trying to make it work. And people ask for tips on these long distance relationships. Do you have any long distance relationship tips? I don't know, but I figured I should ask because I get asked a lot. Yeah, long distance relationships are tough. I think one of the things that I coach people on is paying attention to love languages and just understanding that like if somebody's love language is physical touch and you're far apart, that will be hard, but what can you do to make up for it? And if there's this quality time, like how can you create quality time even when you're far apart? Mm -hmm. And so nothing groundbreaking here, but I just think like validating that long distance relationships are really hard. It's easier when there's a light at the end of the tunnel, when you know, okay, we're going to intern in the same city or when we graduate, we're both going to move here. But other than that, I would say just make sure that you're constantly choosing this relationship and that this is the relationship you want to be in and that you're not just like staying with somebody because you have been staying with them. Like, I think especially when you're younger, 
I think it's really important for people to get different experiences. Mm -hmm. And I'd want, I don't want people to look back on their college and be like, oh, I regret that I wasn't even that present at my college because I was mostly visiting my boyfriend two states away. Right. Do you think that it's okay just to end things with someone simply because you want to like experience different things? I think, I don't know if it's misconception or not, but there is a, an idea that if someone is like, okay, I just, I want to see, I want to experience my college or I want to experience this time in my life single. They're kind of disregarding their love. Like that means that they didn't love you. Like if he, he would choose you every time, if it was, you know, that type of thing, do you think that that's true or can you really love someone, but you also like, can both of those things coexist at one time? I think it's hard. And I I definitely think this depends on age. So like when people are younger, I do feel like it's important to get different experiences and to figure out like, who are you when you're with this person? Who are you with that person? And so I'm not anti long distance relationships, but I am pro people getting experiences. In my work, I've categorized people into these three types of daters and they all have different expectations. They all have issues with expectations. So the first one is the romanticizer and they have unrealistic expectations of relationships. So they're like, I'm going to meet my soulmate. It's going to be love at first sight. It's going to be easy. And I work with them on understanding like all relationships take work. The second type is the maximizer and they have unrealistic expectations of their partner. And they're like, oh, I'm going to find the perfect person. I just have to keep searching. There's always going to be somebody better out there and they're always looking. And the third type is the hesitator where they have unrealistic expectations of themselves. And they're like, oh, I could never date right now. I'm not I'm not good enough. I haven't lost weight. I don't have a cool enough job. And they're not even putting themselves out there. Yeah. So for people who are maximizers in college, that might look like, well, I'm going to keep breaking up with people to have more experiences. Mm -hmm. In their mid-20s, it might be like, well, she's great, but I could find someone hotter. So I'm going to break up with her. And so it could be the beginning of an unhealthy pattern where you're always trying to trade up. Or it could be a genuine thing, which is like, I'm young. I find it distracting to mostly be on the phone or FaceTiming with someone far away. And I do love you. And what we had was great. But the right thing for me now is to really be present in the experience that I'm in, which is where I'm going to school. Yeah. With those three types of daters, is there kind of, because I'm sure people listening resonate with one of those types. Is there kind of like a quick little thing that you would recommend to each of those to maybe? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So people can take the quiz on my website if they want to. I think it's loganuri.com slash quiz. They can figure out what they are. But I would say it's like the the kind of most dominant thing that could help you recognize yours is like the hesitator. If you're a hesitator, you're not dating right now. You have a story in your head that's all be ready to date when dot, dot, dot. And there's always something. So if you're not dating and you're holding yourself back, you could be a hesitator. For the romanticizer, it's really focusing on things like we had this amazing how we met story or they look exactly like how I imagined my soulmate to look. It's very much like a story in your head, maybe planted there by Disney or a Mm rom-com. You want the relationship to match. And then for the maximizer, it's constantly this feeling of like who else is out there? What else is out there? And probably the majority of my clients are... I have clients in each of these categories, but I do tend to see a lot of maximizers. I think just being like in the Bay Area, having a lot of clients in New York, there's all these people that are like, I go after everything in my job. Like I want, you know, the the best job, the best apartment. Like why would I not want the best girlfriend or boyfriend or whoever? And it's helping them understand, no, you can still find somebody great, but eventually you have to meet someone and make it into a great relationship. You can't just keep searching because then- you know, you're waiting for something that will never be there and you're actually missing out on like a great potential partner. Yeah. How do you help the hesitators and the romanticizers kind of figure out the right way to go about dating? Yeah. So for hesitators, I really try to say to them, don't wait, date. And I just try to get really tactical with them. I'm like, what are all the pieces? Okay. You don't have profile pictures because you're waiting to get professional pictures. You don't need that. Like, who cares? Like, let's go through your phone right now. And we're going to choose a few pictures. And then, 
over the next few weeks, ask your friend to go out and take a couple of pictures of you. Like you're going to be online in three weeks. Like we're going to get your hinge profile up. So just breaking down the pieces. Some of it is also more psychological. Like sometimes they work with a therapist on self-love stuff. Like why do they believe that they're not lovable yet? Why do they believe they'd only be lovable if they lost weight and kind of breaking down some of those patterns, but really it's just throwing them into the deep end and being like, you're going to start dating for the romanticizers. I talk to them a lot about like, what's your goal? And if your goal is a long-term healthy relationship, then being so focused on somebody's package that they come in or being so focused on the we met story is actually going to hold you back. So let's say you're going to be in a 50 year marriage. The day that you met is 0.0055% of your total relationship. Like stop romanticizing the we met story. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes complete sense. I feel like those are all of the questions that I had for you and like all of the things that I get asked a lot that I feel like having an actual expert to answer is really helpful. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and help us out. So where can the circlers find you? And I know you mentioned your book, but if you wanna, because I'm sure- they would so love mo- to. mostly they can find me watching Cody Co. Milk Manor videos. <laughs> me and me as well. Yes. <laughs> so when I'm not doing that, yeah. no, they can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Logan Yuri. And my book is How to Not Die Alone. And if anyone wants to figure out their dating tendency, they can take the quiz on my website. Amazing. Well, Yay, it was for having so me. nice to meet you. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. This was so interesting and so helpful. And it was just so nice to meet you. Yeah, thanks for having me and for the great questions. And I hope it was helpful to your listeners. I'm sure they are going to love it as well. So thank you so much. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.